ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so as you will be aware, the lecture that we're going to have tonight, insha'Allah ta'ala, during the course of it, we're going to discuss regarding the issue of differences of opinion within the religion. And when is this issue of differences of opinion something where leeway can be afforded within it? And when is it an issue where leeway cannot be afforded within it? Because there are certain instances where differences of opinion can have leeway within them to the extent that there may be different opinions all based upon evidences, scholars having done ijtihad upon a particular issue, and come to particular conclusions. Those affairs are typically what we refer to as the furu' or the subsidiary affairs, the branches of knowledge. Then there are other types of affairs where differing is not acceptable and differences of opinion, there is no leeway for them. And that is with regards to the usul, the foundations and the principles of the religion. And that's where we want to begin with first. To understand this topic of differences of opinion between the scholars, we need to understand what are we talking about with regards to these differences of opinion. Are we talking about the foundations of the religion? Or are we talking about other secondary issues? Because to understand that is the key to then understanding how you behave and how you deal with these issues of difference when they arise. So with regards to the foundation of this religion of Islam, it is from the principles of it that the Muslims be united. Unity in the religion is a principle that the scholars have mentioned from the principal affairs of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah to be united. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded us with that in the Quran. Allah commanded the Muslims to be united in the Quran itself. When Allah mentioned, وَاَعْتَصِمُوا بِحَبْلِ اللَّهِ جَمِيعًا وَلَا تَفَرَّقُوا And cling on to the rope of Allah, all of you together. And do not disunite, do not separate and differ. Rather cling on to the rope of Allah, all of you together united. And what is the rope of Allah? 
when Allah mentioned, وَاعْتَصِمُوا بِحَبْلِ اللَّهِ and be united and cling on to the rope of Allah. The scholars, they mentioned various different explanations as to what the rope of Allah is. The Salaf, they mentioned various explanations as to what the rope of Allah is. And all of these explanations, they revolve around the same meaning. And this is what the scholars call differences of variation. There are varying different explanations, but they all revolve around the same source, the same point. And so here, the Salaf, they said, the rope of Allah is Al-Islam. Some of them said the rope of Allah is the Qur'an. Some of them said the rope of Allah is the Sunnah. These are varying different statements from the Salaf. But they all revolve around and return to the same source. The Qur'an, the Sunnah, Islam. It is all the same affair that they are talking about. That the rope of Allah is this religion upon Tawheed, the Qur'an and the Sunnah. That is what Allah is telling us in the Qur'an to be united upon and to cling on to. وَاعْتَصِمُوا بِحَبْلِ اللَّهِ And cling on to the rope of Allah, all of you together. Then Allah mentioned in the same ayah, mentioned a warning to us, a warning to the believers, a warning to the Muslims, وَلَا تَكُونُوا كَالَّذِينَ تَفَرَّقُوا وَاخْتَلَفُوا And do not be like those who split up and they differed. Do not be like those who split up and they differed. Rather, Allah mentioned in another ayah, إِنَّ هَذِهِ أُمَّتُكُمْ أُمَّةً وَاحِدًا وَأَنَا رَبُّكُمْ فَاعْبُدُونَ Indeed, this ummah of yours is one ummah. And I am your Lord, so worship me. Hence Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it clear in the Qur'an itself, this command to be united, for the believers to be united. However, the question that arises initially is, How do we bring about this unity? How do we prevent ourselves from falling into those differences, from falling into that separation? Then the answer to that is in that very ayah that we mentioned. وَاعْتَصِمُوا بِحَبْلِ اللَّهِ Cling on to the rope of Allah. Unity will only come upon that one upright methodology. If a person now questions and thinks to himself, why are there so many differences amongst the Muslims? Some Muslims do certain things in certain ways, other groups do it in certain other ways. Then the answer comes back to this point, that the unity will only occur upon that one upright pathway upon that one upright methodology. 
Allah gave us one pathway that we have to tread upon in order to receive and to achieve the pleasure of Allah and the reward and the paradise. Allah mentioned in the Quran, وَأَنَّ هَذَا صِرَاطِي مُسْتَقِيمًا فَاتَّبِعُوهُ وَلَا تَتَّبِعُوا السُّبُلِ This is my straight path, Allah said. So follow it and do not follow the divergent pathways. فَتَفَرَّقَ بِكُمْ عَنْ سَبِيلِهِ They will split you away from the path of Allah. Regarding that ayah, it is mentioned in the hadith that the Prophet ﷺ, he drew a straight line in the sand on one occasion. خَطَّلَنَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ خَطًّا مُسْتَقِيمًا The Prophet ﷺ on one occasion amongst his companions, he drew a straight line in the sand. And he said to them, هَذَا سَبِيلُ اللَّهِ This is the path of Allah. ثُمَّ خَطَّ عَنْ يَمِينِهِ خُطُوطًا وَعَنْ شِمَالِهِ خُطُوطًا Then he drew lines to the right of it, and lines to the left of it. And he clarified to them, that all of these other lines that are turning away from that one upright pathway, they are all distorted and deviated away from the truth. عَلَى كُلِّ سَبِيلٍ مِنْهَا شَيْطَانٌ يَدْعُوا On all of these pathways is a shaitan calling you to it, calling you to turn away from the path of Allah. The shaitan, iblis, devil, calling you away from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why Ibn al-Qayyim said, Rahimahullah ta'ala, وَذَٰلِكَ And that is because, regarding this straight path, ذَٰلِكَ لِأَنَّ الطَّرِيقَ الْمُوصِلُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَاحِدٍ The pathway which will take you to Allah is only one. The pathway that will take you to Allah, the reward from Allah, the pleasure of Allah, the paradise, that is only one pathway. وَلَوْ أَتَى النَّاسُ مِنْ جَمِيعِ الطَّرَقْوَى مِنْ جَمِيعِ الْأَبْوَابِ Even if the people, they ended up trying to come in from diverted other pathways, or they tried to come in from other entrances at the sides, Ibn Qayyim mentions, لَوَجَدُوهَا مَسْدُودًا وَلَوَجَدُوا الْأَبْوَابَ مُغْلَقًا They would find the pathways blocked. There is no other pathway that will take you to Allah. They would find them all blocked. And all of these other doors they try to go through away from the upright pathway, they would find all of them blocked and closed and locked in front of them. Because the pathway to Allah is only one. And that is the clinging on to the rope of Allah, the Qur'an, the Sunnah, upon the methodology of the Salaf of this Ummah. These are the foundations and the basics we all require to understand. Before you can understand how to deal with differences, you are required by default to understand where and upon what your unity is in the first place. Where and upon what is your unity in the first place? And that unity of yours 
is upon the Qur'an, the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the final revelation from Allah, and upon the sunnah, what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught us from his teachings, and upon the understanding of the salaf of this ummah, the salaf, those companions who were with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they accompanied him, they were with him, they lived with him. So they saw the revelation coming to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. They lived with him and saw how the Prophet behaved, what the Prophet did, what he taught them. They saw all of that firsthand. Hence, when we try to understand the religion, we try to interpret the Qur'an or interpret the sunnah, the teachings of the Prophet ﷺ, then we do not interpret with our own intellects and our own minds. Rather, we return back to looking at how the companions of the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ understood those particular issues and how they interpreted them. By doing that, you will then be united upon one methodology. But then what splits all of the Muslims into their different ways? That they do not stick to that one straight methodology. They do not stick to the Qur'an and the Sunnah with the understanding of the companions, the Salaf. They do not do that. They use their own interpretations. They use their own intellects. They use their own intelligence to try to come to conclusions with regards to religious affairs. And as a consequence, if every individual is going to use his own intellect and his own intelligence, his own logic to come to a conclusion upon a particular affair, then in this one room alone, you would end up with 40 or 50 different opinions on a single affair. If a single issue came up, everybody would end up with their own thought, they would end up with their own logic, they would end up with their own opinion. On one affair alone, you would end up with 30 different opinions already, split up into 30 different groups already. But if everybody decided that on this particular issue, we're trying to determine what is the religious verdict on it, what is the religious stance, upon this particular affair, that we will not use our own intellects and our own smartness as we view it. Instead, we'll go and look at what the Qur'an says, we'll have a look at what the Sunnah says, and we'll have a look at what the companions, the Salaf, said about this particular thing. Then everybody would be together upon one opinion. The one opinion that they find, the answer that they find, in the Qur'an and the Sunnah with the understanding of the Salaf of this Ummah. And that has to be the way. If anybody was ever confused, where is the straight pathway? How do I understand Islam properly? Then surely, without a shadow of a doubt, every person understands that you must understand Islam in the way that the Prophet wasallam taught it. So who are the ones who learnt it directly from the Prophet ﷺ when he taught it? 
the companions, the salaf, i.e. the early generations. So we return back to them and we cling on to that one upright methodology. So that is the basis of our unity. Whereas the Muslims, some of them, they do not have this reference point. And instead they use their own intellects and their own intelligence and they say, this must mean you do such and such, or that must mean that you do such and such. And in reality that is just their own opinions. And therefore, they end up differing and going away into all sorts of different opinions on how you do things. So the basis of our unity is that Qur'an and Sunnah and the understanding of the companions, the Salaf of this Ummah. As Shaykh Al-Fawzan, Hafizahullah Ta'ala mentions, وَلَا يَجُوزُ لِأُمَّةِ مُحَمَّدْ أَن تَتَفَرَّقَ فِي عَقِيدَتِهَا وَفِي عِبَادَتِهَا وَفِي أَحْكَامِ دِينِهَا It is not permissible for the Ummah of Muhammad, the Muslims, to differ in their aqidah, or to differ in their worship, or to differ or split up in the rulings of their religion. Rather, they must be united and they must return back to the Qur'an and the Sunnah whenever any differing occurs. فَإِن تَنَازَعْتُمْ فِي شَيْءٍ فَرُدُّوهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَالرَّسُولِ Allah told us in the Qur'an, if you differ over anything, then return it back to Allah and His Messenger. Return it back to Allah, i.e. the Qur'an. And return it back to the Messenger, i.e. the Sunnah. إِن كُنْتُمْ تُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ If indeed truly you believe in Allah on the last day, then if you differ over any affair, return it back to the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and then you will find your ruling. The believer, the true believer, when this situation arises, that there may be some differing over an affair, and the return is made to the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and the understanding of the Salaf of this Ummah, and the answer is found, then a true believer does not find in his heart anything to repel that truth. Rather, he submits to the truth. When that truth comes to an individual, he submits to the truth. And this is the characteristic of the upright believer. The characteristic of the upright believer is to have the humility in his heart to humble himself before the truth and not to show pride or arrogance in refusing to accept the truth when it comes. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the Qur'an regarding the individuals whom when that truth it comes to them, they do not find in their hearts any resistance to that. They do not find in their hearts anything repelling that truth when it comes. So Allah mentioned, فَلَا وَرَبِّكَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ حَتَّى يُحَكِّمُوكَ فِيمَا شَجَرَ بَيْنَهُمْ ثُمَّ لَا يَجِدُوا فِي أَنفُسِهِمْ حَرَجًا مِمَّا قَضَيْتْ وَيُسَلِّمُوا تَسْلِيمًا 
that by your Lord they do not believe until they make you the judge of the affairs that they dispute in, and then they do not find any resistance in of themselves, rather they submit to what you have ruled by. So the true believer, it is from his characteristics that he submits to the truth. And so, if any disagreement or dispute occurred over an affair, and that affair is returned back to the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and the response is found to it, then the believer should not be from those who finds arrogance in his heart to accept that truth. Rather, the true believer humbles himself and has the humility in his heart to accept that truth whomsoever it comes from. That is where the reward is for that individual. That is the sign of his iman, that he accepts the truth and he does not argue in falsehood. Thereafter, we understand that the unity or the basis of this unity, it is on that Qur'an, it is on that sunnah, it is upon the understanding of the salaf of this ummah. And therefore, in the principal aspects of this religion, there is no differing. And it is not correct or permissible for there to be differing i.e. in the affairs of aqeedah, in the usul of aqeedah, in the usul of the religion, then you cannot have differing. It cannot be that one group of Muslims come along and they say, that Allah has no names and no attributes. And another group they say, rather Allah has names and attributes, and they are the same as the names and attributes we have. So they compare Allah to creation. Those groups cannot be united upon the methodology of Ahlul Sunnah, wherein you affirm the names and attributes and you do not compare Allah to creation. How can there be unity if they are differing in those fundamentals? So when a person wants to understand this issue of unity, the unity is upon that basis. Without that basis of the Qur'an and the Sunnah and the Salaf, then there cannot be unity. How can you unite and the group of people, they say to you, Allah has no names and attributes, where is your unity? Another group, they come along and they say to you, that as far as they are concerned, the majority of the companions apostated after the death of the Prophet ﷺ. How do you unite with them? Where is your unity? The unity will only come when the people are united upon that upright way, upon that one aqeedah, upon the one methodology. That is the basis. Then, we move on to look at the issues where you may consider them or call them or term them as the secondary type of issues. The secondary type of issues, the furu' where you may find some leeway. It is possible that there may be an individual with a certain opinion, and it is possible that another individual may have a slightly different opinion on a particular matter, but it does not dictate, and it does not mean that they are now in enmity to each other, or that one declares the other as an innovator, or that one exits the other from the fold of Ahlul Sunnah. That is not necessitated in certain other issues. 
in the first part what we've been talking about, when they differ with you in the usul, in the basis, in the aqidah, then of course those rulings are applicable. But now in issues where there is leeway. So an example, or some of the examples that are mentioned with regards to this issue of having differences where there may be some leeway, and that you do not have enmity or anger, or expelling one from the fawl of Ahlul Sunnah, or the likes of such actions. An example that al-Shaykh al-Athaymeen, rahimahullah ta'ala, gave to highlight that. He said, with regards to the companions, فَقَدْ وَقَعَ بَيْنَهُمْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ الْإِخْتِلَافِ there were some issues of differing which occurred between the companions. But be aware and take extreme note. When we talk about issues of differing between the companions, then we are not talking about differences in the foundations of the religion. We are not talking about differences in aqidah. We are not talking about differences in the foundations, the principles, the usul. The companions did not differ on those affairs. Rather, when we talk about differences, ijtihad on certain issues, what you call now easy to understand, issues of fiqh. Issues of fiqh, how to do a certain thing. They may have come to a different ijtihad on occasion. But the way of the companions was, if that occurred, then so quickly would they return back to the Prophet ﷺ to establish what the correct position in Islam is. So one example of that is, regarding what happened at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, at the time of the Prophet ﷺ himself, فَقَدْ حَصَلَ الْخِلَافِ بَيْنَهُمْ فِي عَهْدِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ ﷺ وَرَسُولُ اللَّهِ بَيْنَ أَظْهُرِهِمْ The Prophet ﷺ was with them, amongst them, and there was this one example of where they differed over their opinion on an issue. فَمِنْ ذَلِكَ أَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ لَمَّا فَرِغَ مِنْ غَزْوَةِ الْأَحْزَابِ وَجَاءَهُ جِبْرِيلِ يَأْمُرُهُ أَنْ يَخْرُجَ إِلَى بَنِي قُرَيْضَةٍ لِنَقْضِهِمْ الْعَهْدِ قَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ لِأَصْحَابِهِ لَا يُسَلِّيَنَّ أَحَدٌ مِنْكُمُ الْعَصْرَ on this one occasion in this narration it is mentioned the hadith which is in Al-Bukhari a Muslim that there were to summarize the narration and to mention the point of it there were a group of the companions who were sent out to go to Bani Quraidah to go to a particular location and the Prophet said to them do not pray Asr until you reach that place do not pray Asr until you reach Bani Quraidah. فَخَرَجُوا مِنَ الْمَدِينَةِ إِلَى بَنِي قُرَيْضَةِ So they exited from Medina, heading towards Bani Quraidah. وَحَانَ وَقْتُ الصَّلَاةِ الْعَصْرِ But on the way, the time for Asr prayer occurred. As they were still traveling, they hadn't arrived. And the time for Asr came. فَقَالَ بَعْضُهُمْ so some of them said, "La nusalli illa fi bani Quraidah." Some of them said, "We will not pray Asr 
will carry on traveling. When we get there to Bani Quraidah, we'll pray Asr there because that's what the Prophet ﷺ said. They said, even if the sun goes down, even if Maghrib time enters, we'll not pray. We'll carry on traveling until we get there. Because the Prophet ﷺ said, do not pray Asr until you get there. The other group of them said, the other group of them said, نُصَلِّي فِي الْوَقْتِ لِأَنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم أَرَادَ بِذَلِكَ الْمُبَادَرَةِ وَلِسْرَاعِ إِلَى الْخُرُوجِ وَلَمْ يُرِدْ مِنْهَا تَأْخِيرَ الصَّلَاةِ Another group of them said, no, we have to pray here right now. Before the sun goes down, we have to pray Asr in its time. And what the Prophet ﷺ meant, they said, is that you should hasten and be quick to try and get there and pray Asr there. They said that's what the Prophet ﷺ meant. Be quick and get there in time before Maghrib. So you can pray your Asr there. But now they said we didn't manage it. We didn't manage it. So we'll have to just pray here. So some of them prayed, considering upon their ijtihad, that the meaning of the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, do not pray until you get there is, be quick and hasten, so you can pray your asr there. But they said, we didn't manage it, so we'll just have to pray. The other said, no, regardless of that, whether you managed it or not, or be quick or not, the statement was, do not pray until you get there. So even if the time finishes, we'll not pray until we get there. So they did a difference in action. There was a difference in their action in how they went about doing what they did in terms of their praying of Asr. When this came back to the Prophet ﷺ, when the Prophet ﷺ discovered what occurred, فَلَمَّا بَلَغَ ذَلِكَ النَّبِيْسَ أَسَلَّمْ فَلَمْ يُعَنِّفْ أَحَدًا مِّنْهُمْ وَلَمْ يُوَبِّخْهُ عَلَى مَا فَهِمْ The Prophet ﷺ did not, did not rebuke either one of the two sets of them. He did not rebuke either group upon the opinion that they went to. The ijtihad that they made and the conclusion that they came to, the Prophet ﷺ did not rebuke either group. He did not say, no, you were wrong, why did you come to this conclusion, you were supposed to do that, what the others did. Neither did he say to the others, you were wrong, why did you do this, you were supposed to do what they did. He did not rebuke either group, and he did not speak with severity to either group. وَهُمْ بِأَنفُسِهِمْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ لَمْ يَتَفَرَّقُوا مِنْ أَجْلِ الْإِخْتِلَافِ الرَّأِي فِي فَهْمِ حَدِيثِ وسلم. And even the companions themselves, they amongst themselves did not have any enmity towards each other, or split, or differ, or have hatred towards each other over this ijtihad that they came to. And consider, this is about the prayer, one of the arkan of Islam. This isn't something you might say it's a minor issue, there was no problem. This is the prayer, praying the prayer in its time or not. And we've studied that before. The severity and the importance of the prayer and praying it in its times. This is an issue of great significance. Yet the companions when they came to their altering or their differing conclusions, and they did differing actions, they did not dispute with each other and argue and have hatred and enmity and splitting. 
That did not occur between them. And neither did the Prophet ﷺ rebuke either group for being wrong in that way. Because this was a matter from their ijtihad, from what they understood of the statement of the Prophet ﷺ in that affair. And that's why the scholars they say, with these types of, to phrase it simply, the fiqh types of issues, then in those issues, there are affairs where you have that leeway, due to the fact that these issues on occasion do not have a definitive, clear-cut evidence in them. Meaning the evidences that are available could possibly be interpreted in the way that a particular group interprets them, and they could possibly be interpreted in the way that the other group interprets them. There is leeway for that ijtihad. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that if the uh, mujtahid, the mufti, the individual does that ijtihad, and he gets it right, فَإِنْ أَصَابَ فَلَهُ أَجْرًا وَإِنْ أَخْطَأَ فَلَهُ أَجْرًا وَاحِدٍ if he gets it right, he gets two rewards. If he gets it wrong, there's still one reward. So these are issues, as the Shaykh Rathaymin mentioned, where the evidences, there is some leeway to be able to come to the conclusions that have been come to. So you have many of these types of affairs, and we studied some of them previously. When you go into sujood, do you go down with your hands first, or do you go down with your knees first? That was an issue that we mentioned briefly. When you do the Fajr Adhan, the first Adhan and the second Adhan, when do you say, As-salatu khayrun minan in the first Adhan or the second Adhan? Again, an issue where it can be understood it's the first Adhan from the evidences, it could be interpreted it's the second Adhan. That type of issue is to highlight now, it would not be an issue where you begin to rebuke those who oppose you in your opinion, and you begin to become severe upon them, and you speak with illness towards them, because a group of brothers decide that the statement, As-salatu khayrun minan should be in the first adhan of Fajr, and perhaps another group consider it should be in the second adhan, that is not an issue of dispute, whereby you have hatred and differing and splitting and evil towards each other. If that occurs, the hatred and the splitting, and the speaking ill of each other, and claiming these people know nothing, and they do not practice the sunnah, and heavy words of this nature, then as the scholars they say, in reality it indicates your lack of understanding of the religion, it indicates your own ignorance in these affairs, that you think you have to rebuke in this way, over issues where genuine ijtihad and conclusions of the scholars, have differed over, and there is that leeway, as the scholars say, Al-Amru fihi wasi' Certain issues, there is leeway in them. There is some room to maneuver. Hence the scholars on that issue, the majority say it is in the second adhan. But if a group considered it is to be done in the first adhan, because the first adhan is being done only very shortly before the actual time of Fajr enters, then it's acceptable and there is no issue in that. And nobody can begin to claim this is against the sunnah and you've opposed the hadith and the narrations. That is not the case. And the one who begins to bring that type of speech, in reality it indicates his own ignorance of having studied those particular topics and those issues. 
And this is something which does occur a lot. And that's why Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala mentioned, when you see these types of issues, very easily or briefly to mention as we say the fiqh types of issues, do you do that in the first adhan? Do you do it in the second adhan? Do you go down with your hands? Do you go down with your knees? Issues of this nature where there have been differences in ijtihad of the scholars. Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah mentioned, if generally speaking, you are enjoining the good and you are forbidding the evil, one of the prerequisites of that is to actually understand and to know something is a good in the first place before you try and enjoin it. And to actually understand and to know that something is actually an evil before you prohibit it. Obviously, you cannot enjoin the good and forbid the evil if you do not know what the good is and what the evil is. As Shaykh al gave an example, he said, you see somebody praying, sitting down. Young, fit, healthy brother. You see him sitting down and praying the obligatory prayer. In the jama'ah, in the congregation, he's at the end of the row, sitting down and praying. So you think to yourself, what is he doing? From the pillars of the congregational prayer is the qiyam, the standing. It's impermissible to sit down. He's missed one of the pillars of the prayer. His prayer will not be acceptable. So you go to him after the prayer, you say, Akhi, what are you doing? The congregational obligatory prayer we've just prayed. In the, in the nafal prayers you can sit, but not the obligatory. So you start to enjoin the good and forbid the evil upon him. And you start to explain this issue where he has erred, and he has sat down and prayed an obligatory prayer. But then, as Shaykh al mentioned, that individual turns around and he says to you, Brother, with all due respect, have a look at my ankle. Look at the size of the cast I've got on it. Twisted it yesterday, I can't stand. Hence, I have a legitimate reason to sit. The scholar, the Shaykh al gave that example to highlight that sometimes there may be issues where it is permissible for an individual to engage in something that may typically not be permissible. So you have to be aware of that. That on occasion, a person or a group of people may engage in a particular issue which is typically not allowed. But due to a legislative reason or cause, it makes it allowable for them in a given circumstance. So Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah mentioned, you must be aware of this. You must be aware and upon knowledge before you begin enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. And before you begin claiming to the people, you are opposing the sunnah in this action or that action. You must have knowledge of the affairs. That in of itself, if we were to leave it there, it would be sufficient to crush the majority of those disputes that occur. Because the majority of the people will not be upon a detailed understanding and knowledge of the issues. They may come to you, and this is the error which occurs. They will come to you due to their knowledge of that particular issue, having understood some of the hadith in it, having read a book, a certain chapter on that topic, but without grasping the reality of that issue, without grasping the whole 
understanding of that issue. And as a consequence, they come to you with their specific knowledge on aspects of that issue, wanting to rebuke you for your action. And they themselves, if they were to study, and they were to look into that issue as a whole in a holistic manner, then they would come across other evidences, they would come across other statements of the scholars, where they have mentioned these are not issues of dispute, these are not issues of rebuking another upon. So Ibn Taymiyyah he mentioned, وَالْوَاجِبُ عَلَى الْآمِرِ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَالنَّاهِ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ أَنْ يَكُونَ أَمْرُهُ وَنَهْيُهُ لِلَّهِ وَقَصْدُهُ طَاعَةً اللَّهِ That one of the conditions of the one who wishes to come or performs enjoining the good and forbidding the evil, which is the pretext that many will have who come to rebuke you or to argue with you upon an Islamic affair. They come to you and say, your practice of doing such and such is wrong. Why? Because in their mind, the basis of their action is to enjoin the good and forbid the evil. To clarify to this person, your action is against the sunnah, and the sunnah is actually such and such. Hence here, Ibn Taymiyyah's speech is very valid to understand. The first point he makes is, that the person who does that must have the sincerity in their heart. If you are going to a person telling him, Akhi, you are wrong in this action of yours, this particular behavior of yours is against the sunnah, this particular action of yours does not appear to be in accordance to what the hadith say, his intention for coming to do that in the first place must be upon sincerity. Desiring that he returns back to the truth, the one whom he is advising. So the first condition is that you must be upon sincerity, and your objective is worship to Allah, in advising your brothers and your sisters, in enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. It is sincerely for Allah, with your objective of worshipping Allah. وَأَن يَكُونَ مَقْصُودُهُ صَلَاحُ الْمَأْمُورِ and that the intent of that person is to rectify. Not that the intent of the person is that I know my stuff on this issue, I'm going to go and I'm going to put them in their place. That is not the objective and that shows this individual has not understood the beginning part of what we said, that you are united upon that basis. Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, united upon that upright pathway then if that is the case, it is not suitable to come with an intention that I'm going to put them in their place, I know my stuff on this issue. Or an individual goes to another individual, I'm going to tell that person straight, because he's doing something wrong, he's doing this, he's doing that. Your objective now for going and enjoining that good or forbidding that evil, or giving that advice, is no longer purely sincerely for Allah. It is to raise your own status, it is to raise your own level, and that is a mistake. Hence you see the complaints from the people. You see the complaints that the individual spoke to me in a harsh manner, or that this particular individual spoke to me regarding this particular issue in a very severe manner, and looked down upon me and belittled me. And this is an error, if so it occurs that the person advising does not recognize how to advise. 
and does not recognize how to put forth or to reconcile or to rectify that issue or that difference which may have occurred. And that again is a mistake because as we see from the example of the companions who differed on their ijtihad over praying asr, they did not dispute and argue and fight with each other over it. And there are many examples from the companions of that nature where they differed over certain fiqh issues and they did not dispute or argue or hate each other upon it. وَأَلَّا يَكُونُ مَقْسُودُهُ طَلَبُ الرِّئَاسَةِ لِنَفْسِهِ وَطَائِفَتِهِ And that a person's objective should not be to seek elevation for himself or for his group. It should not be to seek elevation for himself or for his group. وَأَصْلُ الدِّينِ And the basis of this religion أَنْ يَكُونَ الْحُبُّ لِلَّهِ that your love is for the sake of Allah. وَالْبُغْضُ لِلَّهِ And your hatred for the sake of Allah. وَالْمُوَالَاتُ لِلَّهِ And that your allegiances are for the sake of Allah. وَالْعَطَاءُ لِلَّهِ وَالْمَنْعُ لِلَّهِ And that your giving and your taking is for the sake of Allah. All of these affairs, they are done sincerely for the sake of Allah. Hence a person needs to bear this in mind. When differences occur, and they may occur, there may be differences within Ahlul Sunnah on these issues of fiqh. And as the scholars have mentioned, it is not something that you determine another person outside of the fold of Ahlul Sunnah over. Do you not see the examples of a Shaykh al-Albani and Shaykh bin Baz, two great mountains of our time, rahimahumallah, how they differed over certain issues, Yet this did not cause them to declare the other to be an innovator outside of the fold of Ahlul Sunnah, to make tabdi'ah of each other, to warn against each other over the issues of the fiqh rulings that they had differences of opinion over. Great issues that are well known to us now. Where do you put your hands back after coming out of ruku'ah? The issue of how do you go down into prostration with your hands or your knees? Various different topics. Yet if you look at the speech of the great scholars regarding each other, it is nothing but praise. Because these differences are not differences that dictate warning and dictate a hatred towards each other and dictate declaring the people to be out of the fold of the sunnah or for them to be uh, declared as opposing the sunnah and going against the sunnah. It is not such. The affair is not such, rather there is the way. Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala mentioned on this particular topic also. He said, At-tafarruq wal-ikhtilaf al-mukharif lil-ijtima'i wal-i'tilaf hatta yasira ba'dhuhum yubghidu ba'dhan wa'adi wa yuhibbu ba'dhan wa yuwalih ala ghayri dhatillah وَحَتَّى يُفْضِيَ الْأَمْرُ بِبَعْضِهِمْ إِلَى الطَّعْنِ وَاللَّعْنِ وَالْهَمْزِ وَاللَّمْزِ وَيُبْغِضُهُمْ وَبِبَعْضِهِمْ إِلَى الْاِقْتِتَالِ بِالْأَيْدِي وَالصِّلَاحِ وَبِبَعْضِهِمْ إِلَى الْمُهَاجَرَ وَالْمُقَاطَعَةِ حَتَّى لَا يُسَلِّيَ بَعْضُهُمْ خَلْفَ بَعْضِ He mentions that this splitting and this differing and this opposition to this unity that you are upon or you are meant to be upon and you have been commanded to be upon 
this differing which occurs between the people to the extent that they hate each other and they have enmity to each other and they have love for their others and allegiance for their others not for the sake of Allah until the affair becomes such that they begin to abuse each other, to curse each other, to belittle and to speak evil of each other. To such an extent with some of them, they may even begin to physically fight each other. And they abandon each other. Then this is all from the affairs which are impermissible. وَهَذَا كُلُّهُ مِنْ أَعْوَمِ الْأُمُورِ الَّتِي حَرَّمَهَا اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ These are all from the greatest of the affairs that Allah and His Messenger they forbade. وَالِاجْتِمَاعُ وَالِاعْتِلَافُ مِنْ أَعْظَمِ الْأُمُورِ الَّتِي أَوْجَبَهَا اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ Unification, unity and strength upon that cooperation. This is from the greatest of the affairs that Allah has made obligatory upon us. Allah mentioned in the Quran, "Ya ayyuha al-ladhina amanu attaqullaha haqqa tuqatihi wa la tamutunna illa wa antum muslimun wa a'tasimu bi hablillahi jami'an wa la tafarraqu." That all you who believe, fear Allah, the truth of fear, the reality of fear, and do not die except that you are Muslims, and all of you cling on to the rope of Allah together, and do not split and unite. Thereafter he mentioned, وَكَثِيرٌ مِنْ هَؤُلَاءِ يَصِيرُ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْبِدْعِ يَصِيرُ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْبِدْعِ بِخُرُوجِهِ عَنِ السُنَّةِ أَلَّتِي شَرْعَى رَسُولَ سَلَّمْ لِأُمَّتِهِ Many of these people, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah mentions, who have these hatreds, have these issues in their hearts, have this rancor against Ahl-Sunnah, against their brothers, who they are, supposed to be united with upon that basis of the aqeedah, of the usul, the Qur'an, the Sunnah, the Salaf. Yet they have this hatred or this feeling against them. Then Shaykh islam says, for some of them, if not many of them, in the end you will find they actually split away and they separate away from Ahl-Sunnah due to what they... Uh, finding of themselves from this behavior and from this splitting away from the jama'ah from Ahlul Sunnah. So Ibn Taymiyyah says, وَهَذَا الْأَصْلُ الْعَظِيمُ وَهُوَ الْإِعْتِصَامُ بِحَبْلِ اللَّهِ جَمِيعًا وَأَلَّا يَتَفَرَّقُوا هُوَ مِنْ أَعْظَمِ أُصُولِ الْإِسْلَامِ This principle of being united upon the rope of Allah, it is from the greatest of the principles of Islam. وَمِمَّا عَظُمَتْ وَصِيَّةُ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى بِهِ فِي كِتَابِهِ And it is one of those affairs that the advice from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the rulings and the commandments that came from Allah regarding it are from the greatest of significance. These are from the affairs that the greatest of significance has been given to them in the Qur'an. وَمِمَّا عَظُمَ ذَمُّهُ لِمَنْ تَرَكَهُ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ وَغَيْرِهِمْ And it is one of those issues where the dispraiseworthiness of those who went against this principle of unity and cooperation upon that goodness, the ones who went against that and they split and they separated and they differed, 
then there is a great degree of dispraise upon them in the Quran. And from the Prophet ﷺ. Hence the Prophet ﷺ said, وَعَلَيْكُمْ بِالْجَمَاعَةِ فَإِنَّ يَدَ اللَّهِ عَلَى الْجَمَاعَةِ Upon you is the jama'ah to be clinging together on the methodology of the Qur'an and the sunnah with Ahlul Sunnah. Because indeed the hand of Allah is upon the jama'ah, the narration of the Prophet ﷺ. All of this in summary, it highlights to us that there are two main affairs to understand. One is that there is the basis of the religion, the aqidah, the usul, the foundations. Those do not accept differing within them. You cannot claim to differ upon them, have differences of opinion and be united. There is no unity then. How do you unite if one claims the companions are kuffar and one claims they are Muslims? One claims Allah has no names and attributes and the other says of course He does. How do you unite? You cannot. So in the foundations there is no differing allowable. And there was never any differing between the companions. So do not allow these misguided individuals to come along and try to derive examples where the companions differed and to try and say these are examples where they differed in aqidah. They are not. Even if the affair may be linked to aqidah, it is not in the usul and the principles of aqidah. Rather, it will be a secondary affair. That is one thing. On that issue, there is no differing acceptable. The one who differs with you on that, it is clarified, they are taught, they are explained. And you do not claim that they are from Ahlul Sunnah despite their differing in that. They are not. That is the basis of them and Ahlul Sunnah and their differing. But the other form that we are speaking of to make it simple, as you say, the fiqh issues where there may be some leeway in them. And there are many examples of that. We gave the example of the Adhan. When do you say, As-salatu khayrun min al-nawm? The example of where do you go down in prostration with your hands first or your knees? And there are many, many examples of this nature when there are issues of fiqh, where the scholars have given points of evidence. And that is what Shaykh al mentioned. These are issues of leeway because the evidences in them can lead to the ijtihad these scholars have made. It is reasonably correct that they can lead to that ijtihad. And it is also reasonably correct that they could lead to this other ijtihad that other scholars have made. Both are reasonably correct upon the evidences. There is no one-shot, case-closed type of evidence in that. So due to that of reasonable uh, a leeway due to the ijtihad being different, it is permissible there. Meaning that it's permissible, i.e. it is not a type of differing that exits a person from the fold of Ahl Sunnah. It is not a type of differing that you abuse or you curse or you have hatred towards each other over. It is not a type of differing where you make groups over. So one group is amongst their group. We believe that you say, As-salatu khayru min al-nawm in the first adhan. And we don't really mix with them people because they do it in the second adhan. That is from the foolishness of the ignorant. From the foolishness of the ignorant to behave in that way. These group of people in their masjid, in their center, they have a policy that their adhan is in the first one. So that center, there's a question mark over them now. Because they say, As-salatu khayru min al-nawm in the first adhan. That is from the foolishness of the one who has not learned his religion. So be aware of these types of issues. 
These types of issues are not issues that open up the door for the people to encourage differing and splitting. For the people to speak with a frown on their face regarding their brothers because they hold a different opinion to them on an issue. I'll give you an example to round off and to conclude. Several years ago, a Sheikh Ahmed Asubari, Hafidhullah Ta'ala from Kuwait, he came and visited the UK and he was in Manchester at the Salafi Masjid Salafi Center. On that visit of his, he was there for a while, for an afternoon or so, gave a lecture, he was with the brothers for a while. At the end, before he was departing, he spoke about this particular issue. And he advised that the brother should not be split over these types of affairs. And these are issues where there is that leeway and ijtihad is made. If a brother takes an opinion sincerely and genuinely, then it is not to be rebuked in that way and to split and differ over. And then he said, he said, I myself, Shaykh Ahmed al-Subai, he said, I myself, from my visit to you brothers at the Salafi Center this afternoon, I have seen things from this masjid, from you brothers, how you do certain things, which me personally, I believe you to be incorrect. Personally, I do not consider your opinion on certain things that I've seen in your masjid to be correct. I differ with you absolutely on them. I believe you to be incorrect on them. However, he said they are not issues that you make an issue of. They are issues where it is an ijtihad that you are following of the scholars and evidences and opinions, then so be it. It is not a point for me to now begin and to make an issue over. Despite the fact he said, myself personally, I believe you to be incorrect on these points, on this issue, that issue. Like the examples that we gave, for example, when to make the adhan with Fajr. But he said, these issues, despite my opinion being that you don't do it in this way, that way, he understands and he knew and he explained. They are issues where there is that maneuverability. There is that leeway. So if you follow the scholars and their evidences and their opinions genuinely upon that, Alhamdulillah, myself personally, I don't believe it to be correct. But despite that, it is not something that I blow up and make an issue over. And that is the wisdom. That is the wisdom that an individual shows for the one who understands that this is not an issue between Ahlul Sunnah and Ahlul Bid'ah. And that's the mistake from the zeal and the hot-bloodedness that you see a person doing something and you've read into this fiqh issue and you've read the evidences and you're convinced that it must be in the first adhan, just to carry through the example. That does not mean that you come with this zeal and this enthusiasm and this hot-bloodedness and you begin to speak to your brothers in a way as if to say, you are opposing the sunnah, you are wrong, what are you doing? That is from the lack of wisdom in this affair. So this is to highlight how the scholars are over these issues. And if you wanted to talk about a lecture just on the topic of how scholars are over these issues, you could bring about hundreds of examples just from the likes of Sheikh bin Baz and Sheikh al-Albani, how many issues they differed over. Yet did you see any hatred between them? Did you see any enmity between them? Did you see them declaring each other to be misguided innovators? You did not see anything of the sort. Did you see them claiming against each other that this person does not desire to follow the sunnah, he's ignorant, he's a blind follower. You do not see this type of speech. Yes, they may have been very strong on their opinions as they were. 
They were strong on their opinions and they gave their evidences as they believed to be correct. But they understood as the scholars understood. These issues, despite how convinced you may be, the opposition on that issue in this fiqh issue does have leeway in it and they do have evidences and opinions that cannot be wiped out and rebuked. Rather, there is reasonable ijtihad upon that opinion. Hence, you see that these are not issues where the differing is to occur over. And if the differing occurs over it, and the people they split over it, then it is a highlighting of their own lack of understanding, their own ignorance over the affair. That does not mean that any particular one group of people is always correct. As it is mentioned, everybody can err and everybody can be correct except the Prophet ﷺ. It does not dictate that a particular person, the imam of the masjid, the committee of the masjid, that because they are the imam or they are the committee or this person is the one who went to study, that he must be the one who's on the right opinion all the time. It could be the case that there may be an issue that you are following the stronger opinion and the opinion of the majority of the scholars on an issue. And it could be that the committee of a masjid, for example, or the imam of that masjid, for example, may be upon a slightly different opinion. But that does not mean within your communities you cause the friction. You must remember, there are two levels to this. The overall base level is that you are Ahlu Sunnah, united upon the usul. Then there is the secondary issue where these affairs arise. How can your logic tell you that upon these secondary issues, you're going to destroy that original basis as well? And you're going to oppose and differ and go against your local Salafi masjid, for example. And you're going to encourage the people against them. And this sometimes occurs in various communities. And that cannot be. If you look at that very simple example, the usul that you are united upon, then the furu' that these issues occur in. Are you going to make something from the furu' to destroy the basis altogether? That cannot be the case. So these are things to bear in mind and to focus on in order that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removes any uh, feelings that the people may have in their hearts and that the unity is brought about because no doubt as we have seen that is from the principles of Ahlul Sunnah and if a person is sincere and that is the basis of the affair that a person is sincere in his actions he desires the truth and that if he does that he is upon sincerity, genuinely striving for the truth. Then inshaAllah ta'ala you will find the humility and the humbleness in the hearts of the brothers and the sisters to understand that these are not issues to rebuke each other and to refute each other over. The issues are not the issues of Ahlul Sunnah with Ahlul Bid'ah. This is an exaggeration and a mistake that the people they fall into. So be aware of that. And that is what we'll briefly conclude upon today. وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين. If there are any questions we can briefly take, we'll do so. Otherwise, we'll conclude upon that. Sahaba, they disputed basically in Aqeedah 
and he gave the example of uh, you know our Prophet seeing along the night of the Isra Mi'raj. Yes. This is a common example that people they use all the time mistakenly, incorrectly, trying to prove that the companions differed in aqidah. The companions did not differ in the usul, they did not differ in the principles, they did not differ in the foundations of aqidah. These people try to bring examples like that, they say, but Aisha radiallahu anha, Abba, uh, Ibn Abbas, they differed over this issue radiallahu anhuma, of whether the Prophet sallallahu saw Allah on the night of al-Isra wal-Mi'raj or not. Aisha radiallahu anha saying, whomsoever claims that the Prophet sallallahu saw Allah is a liar. Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma saying, the Prophet sallallahu saw Allah on that night. So they say, look, an example where the companions differed over the aqidah. The reality is this is not the case. And there are various explanations to understand how this is not a case of differing in aqidah. Firstly, that the actual issue does not necessitate differing. Because in Arabic it is known there are two types of vision. Even in English you have that type of language. Where there are two types of vision. There is the physical vision. Seeing something physically. And then there is the metaphoric type of vision. The vision of the heart. The example of that being when you, when you use the word vision or seeing something when you're not physically seeing anything. I say to you for example, therefore... Uh, differing in aqidah and in the principle is not allowed. Do you see? People will say, yes, I see, I see. What do you see? What have I shown you? Here you're not seeing anything physical. But the meaning of I see, it's a type of vision from the heart. It's not a physical sight. In Arabic you have that. You have the vision of the heart and you have the vision of the eyes. Ibn Abbas was talking about the vision of the heart. Aisha radiallahu anha was talking about the vision of the eyes. So is there any contradiction? They are talking about two different types of vision, there is no contradiction. On top of that, the scholars, they say, let's say for the sake of the argument, they were talking about the same thing. Still, it would not be an example of differing in aqidah, because this is not from the usul of aqidah. The asl in this particular issue is seeing Allah. And we know the aqidah of Ahl-Sunnah, the foundation of that. In this world, we cannot see Allah. In the hereafter, we will see Allah. The innovators, they denied that and they rejected that. That is the basis of this topic. In this world, we will not see Allah. In the hereafter, we will. Did the Prophet ﷺ see Allah or not on the night of Al-Isra Al-Mi'raj? Is an offshoot from that fundamental in aqidah. It is not the fundamental itself. So again, it is not a principle and fundamental matter. It is an offshoot from one of those matters. Even if you say they were talking about the same thing, and the reality as Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn Qayyim have mentioned in their books is not. So that is not an example, and the companions did not differ in aqidah. The reason why these deviated individuals want to try and prove that is, so that they can justify their cooperation with the people of innovation. That's really where it comes down to. If they can try and prove to you that the companions differed in aqidah, the next step they will take and say is, but did the companions used to warn against each other and hate each other? The answer is, no. They'll say, there you go. The companions differed in aqidah, but they didn't warn against each other and hate each other. Therefore, we can unite and cooperate with the people of innovation who differ with us in aqidah, and it doesn't necessitate we warn and hate them. That's where they want to get to with that. That's why they are so keen 
to try and prove that there are differences in aqidah between the companions, yet they did not hate each other. Therefore now the people, the Muslims, the innovators have differences in aqidah with us, but we don't hate them, we unite with them. That's what they want to try and prove. But the reality is you cannot. The companions did not differ in aqidah. Sheikh Al-Albani, Sheikh Al-Thaymeen, Sheikh Bin Baz, Rahimahumullah, were all upon the aqeedah of Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah. If he wants to try to prove to you that they, one of them was not, or more than one of them was not, then he needs to bring that proof and show us where and which points in aqeedah one of these scholars was not upon the aqeedah of Ahl-Sunnah. It's impossible to really look into it unless we know what he's bringing then. And it's impossible. There is no such thing. Sheikh Al-Albani, Sheikh Bin Baz, Sheikh Al-Thaymeen, Rahimahumullah, are all well-known scholars upon the methodology of Ahlul Sunnah. If he's going to say they differed in Aqidah, in the principles of Aqidah, and really by saying that, he wants to get on to the point of therefore saying that one of them or two of them were not really from Ahlul Sunnah or along those lines, he then needs to prove what are these oppositions to the aqidah of Ahl Sunnah that occurred from Sheikh Bin Ba, Sheikh Al Ba, and Sheikh Al Where are those oppositions that nobody else has heard of or found out for all these years, but this Diobandi has? So we'll conclude upon that, and we'll just remind ourselves of the importance of studying this religion, because Allah Subhanahu wa Taala created us for the purpose of worship. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us and placed us upon this earth for the purpose of His worship. So it is upon us, binding, that we study our religion and we are upon knowledge regarding our religion, that we then understand how to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All of the prophets and messengers Allah sent throughout history, from Nuh alayhi salam, Noah as they say, from Ibrahim alayhi salam, Musa alayhi salam, Isa alayhi salam, Moses, Abraham, Jesus, all of these prophets of Allah, all of the prophets that we believe in as Muslims, then those prophets all came with the revelation from Allah. They all came with guidance from Allah to take the people out of darkness into light, to take the people out of a life without any meaning, a life without any objective, to take them into the light of Tawheed, whereby they understand their Creator Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who created them, gave them life, gave them death. He is the one therefore deserving all of that worship. And they then realize an objective and a purpose to their life. So this is why the prophets and messengers came to teach all of the people. And that is what Allah mentioned in the Quran, is our objective upon this earth to worship Him. وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ I did not create the jinn or the humans except for them to worship me. And the Prophet ﷺ, he came with that final revelation, came with that final revelation of the Qur'an, explained within it the message of Tawheed. No such thing as multiple gods or multiple deities, rather worshipping Allah alone, one deity to worship, La ilaha illallah, 
that there is no other deity deserving of worship in truth except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A religion that takes the people out from the stress and the concern and the difficulties of life because without knowing your Creator, without knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whom you worship, who created you, your Lord, then your heart is empty. As Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah mentioned, the one who does not know his Creator, or the one who does not understand his Creator and know his Lord, his heart is empty of that, then in reality his life is exactly the same as the life of the animals, the cows, the sheep, the horses. They walk around, they eat, they drink, but their hearts, they are not uh, hearts of worship as we are, as the revelation came to us, as we are burdened to practice that. You are walking around physically, your heart is beating, but in reality it is dead because you find nothing within it. But in Islam, in practicing the religion, in worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, your creator, then no doubt you find that fulfillment in your heart. So it is upon us to study and to learn our religion. And when that guidance comes to you, when you see the truth, to take that truth instantly as it comes, not to forego, to leave that aside and to put it aside. For the one who puts it aside, you do not know what the state of your heart will be in the future, whether you will see that truth again and understand it when it comes the next time. So when that truth it comes to you, that knowledge it comes to you, and that understanding it comes to you, then it is binding to grasp that, and to take that and to practice it. So we ask Allah to make us from those who study and learn our religion and practice upon the way of the Qur'an, the Sunnah, and the understanding of the Salaf of this Ummah. And we'll conclude upon that for today.